Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Peter Spiegel. Today, we are going to be addressing the question of what will happen or what would happen to your animals, your pets, if they were to survive you or if you became unable to care for them. So I'm going to ask listeners to set aside your fears, if you harbor any, about this topic and to overcome any denial, if that's an issue for you, and listen with an open mind. You really want what is best for your dogs and cats, right? Well, we all need to do a little thinking and a little planning. But fortunately, we do not have to do it alone. So I am pleased to welcome attorney Eileen McCauley, who is based here in Arizona, and she has agreed to share some of her experience and wisdom with us today as we delve into planning for our pets. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you, Peter. It's wonderful, wonderful to be here. Why don't we start, if you would, tell us a bit about yourself and your law practice. Okay. I am an, I'm an estate planning attorney, and I focus on two things in my practice, uh, tax law and estate planning, and planning for animals. I'm part of the animal law section of the State Bar of Arizona. So it's very, very important to me that when we talk to families, we talk to them about their all of their family members, including their animals, because in the event of disability or death, it's the animals who are going to suffer and will suffer the most. Well, how and why did you get interested in the animals in particular? Are you like an animal person or is this a, from a law angle? Well, I am an animal person. Uh, I, I'm a dog lover, actually, and I'm on my, I don't know, sixth generation. That's kind of how I look at it, of dogs. Uh, right now, I have a boxer named Parker and a mixed breed named Melody. And uh, they are wonderful, wonderful companions. Uh, but I've had dogs my entire life. And um, as an attorney, when I first started practicing, nobody told us that we had to be concerned about any of the animal family members. So uh, we've had some situations in the practice that have terrified me, that have saddened me. So now I include animal planning uh, in all of the estate planning that we do because we treat animals in a very special way, just like you would treat a special child, special family member who cannot really ever take care of themselves. Yeah. So you have a nice, mature practice now. You've been at this for a while. What do you think the current problems are? Do you still think that this is an underserved or a neglected area? Oh, absolutely. Too many animals are euthanized when their loved ones are uh, disabled or in the event of death. All right. There are probably tens of thousands, if not millions, are euthanized uh, over the course of time. Uh, I first recognized this area when a client of mine who was a um, not an elderly woman, but though she had a stroke, she ended up in, uh, in a retirement home and all of her animals, she had eight to 10 animals at her home who died of starvation. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so that is why I entirely revamped my practice uh, to talk to everybody about their animals. 
Some people want to act. Some people don't want to act. And believe it or not, Peter, there are people who don't have any animals. <laughs> Never met one. So, um, but we have the discussion. It's yeah. very, very important to have the discussion. And we follow that discussion through from the first meeting all the way to the last meeting. Okay. So uh, how do you formulate the whole environment of looking at uh, pets and, and their people uh, legally? Like, uh, how do you divide it up if you do? Oh, fortunately, in Arizona, we have the legal ability to set up what's called an honorary pet trust. Okay, and with this honorary pet trust, we're able to provide the financing and resources to take care of the animals, as well as ask the very hard questions, because quite frankly, money is easy. That's an easy answer. Uh, who will take care of the animals for you? Who will feed them? Who will take them to the vet? Who will make sure they live the best life possible uh, after you're not able to take care of them? That is the much harder question. Okay, so you mentioned something uh, before that might have been a surprise to some listeners thinking about pet trusts and wills and uh, after and planning after you leave this earth, and that is the situation of disability. So yes. why is that common or a, a big problem, and, and what special issues does that raise for us? Well, let me tell you about a problem I had, okay? Uh, a few years ago, I broke my foot. All right. When you break your feet, uh, you can't you're not mobile anymore. So I had to spend two months hobbling around inside the house, not being able to walk the dogs. So the question is, who's going to walk the dogs for me? All right. Who's going to feed them if I can't reach the food bowls? Who's going to take care of them for me? And um, I had to find a group of people. I had to hire a company to walk the dogs. All right. Not and not all companies are good at that process. I have to find someone who buys the right dog food because Parker is on special dog food. He has uh, GI problems. So we have to get the GI dog food. I have to get a prescription from the vet, have to feed him the appropriate amount at the appropriate time, give him his meds. You know, many people think animals are just, you know, throwaways. I don't think they're throwaways. And so I now have in place the people and the companies and the vets who can take care of my animal no matter what happens to me. So if it had been a situation more widespread or devastating than a foot issue, not to dismiss your foot in, yeah. you'd had a stroke, for instance, and could yes. not communicate this or were bedridden. Yes. You put all this in place, ready to go. You have to have it. You have to have it in place because right now, if something happened to me, Parker is about 60 pounds. Melody is about 45 pounds. My daughter would love to take them, but she can't in the apartment that she lives in. All right. So I have a, uh, it took me a while to find the right people to take care of them who can manage two large animals on top of the animals they currently have. It takes thought. It takes uh, a great deal of work to figure it out. So does that take a legal structure also uh, handle that? Or you just got to get a plan and people who are dedicated or promised to the cause? The honorary pet trust is the legal structure that I use. Okay. Okay. Uh, because it is a checklist 
of everything that you need to think about, no matter what happens, okay? If you're well, this is what we do. All right, if you go into the hospital overnight, where do I find the leads? Where do I find the dog food? Where do I find the medication? Short term. If I'm disabled completely, who is going to come and take the animals to where they're supposed to go? Yeah. You know, it's it's so the trust is the framework. And when people have animals and humans as their beneficiaries, I like the trust to be a completely separate standalone document because our humans do not always feel the same way we do about our animals. Yes. So earlier, as I set this up, I talked about the possibility of sort of psychological mechanisms of avoidance or denial and things like that. Is that yeah. uh, pervasive or is it a money thing that prevents people from really wanting to think about this or execute it? I think it's more denial than anything else. OK, uh, people don't want to come to an estate planner because we have to talk about uncomfortable things. All right. Nobody likes to think about if they got so sick, they could no longer take care of their animals, uh, let alone bring people in to take care of them. Yeah. OK, so first, it's denial. Uh, secondly, it's having the financial resources to take care of the animals and acknowledging that there are lots of ways to put the financial in place. It's much, much easier to find the money, really, than it is to find the people to do these jobs. And uh, it just made me uh, think about the singer Prince, who mm. died with a, a state really not planned. What a chaos that go. I don't know if there are pets involved, but a lot of money and potential proceeds involved. So uh, what was he thinking? Make sure if he can do He's, it, you know? He was in denial. You know, look at Michael Jackson and his zoo on yeah. his property. Yeah. Okay, what happens to all those animals? Yeah. Uh, it's hard enough to find a place for a dog or a cat, let alone a zoo, a zoo full of animals. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a serious thing. It's a serious thing. So we're uh, based here in Arizona where where you are. Are there similar mechanisms that can be done in each of the 50 uh, states? No. Not all states have animal trusts or we're called honorary pet trust. So you need to check with your estate planner uh, about what's available in your state because you have to comply with their laws. Uh, sometimes, though, you can create an Arizona trust in your state that complies with Arizona law uh, if your state doesn't um, have these resources for you. Well, that's yeah. interesting. So Arizona yeah. is like a leader. We are. That's impressive. We're a leader. Wow. Okay. Um, well, we're going to take a little break. We're talking about uh, pet trust and thinking about taking care, making sure animals are uh, cared for after you're gone or if in the case you're unable to care for them. We are speaking with Eileen McCauley, who is a dear friend and obviously an expert in this area. And uh, after the break, we are going to talk about another interesting story in the news that was reported in the New York Post and, and the problems that it presented. And also, we'll get into some uh, specific things you ought to do now to get the ball rolling. Okay, you're listening to Animals Today. Stick around. Stick around. 
For more than 60 years, the International Society for Animal Rights has been consistently fighting the battle against dog and cat overpopulation and advancing animal rights and law. ISAR is committed to saving animals' lives through ISAR's annual Worldwide International Homeless Animals Day. To learn more about ISAR's programs, please visit their website at www.isaronline.org. Hey, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner from Animals Today, and this is your Animals Today Minute for today. It's kitten season, and you may come across a litter of young kittens. Your first reaction will be to rescue them, thinking they've been abandoned. Stop. It's much more likely that the mother is off hunting for food or looking for a safer place to nest, or was just frightened by you. If the kittens are clearly not in distress and the nest is not in danger, leave them alone, for the mother will likely return. But check again in a couple of hours, and if they're still there, then please, yes, rescue them. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and that was your Animals Today Minute for the Welcome back. Uh, continuing our discussion with lawyer Eileen McCauley about pet trusts and caring for your uh, pets after you're gone or if you're disabled. Eileen, okay, great, interesting, weird story. This one out of Florida where a woman passed away, left her $2.5 million mansion and a bunch of un money, undisclosed amount to her seven cats with the seven cats to live in the house till they're all gone and the cats are not old cat. Uh, so it makes the news. And then the judge says, no, uh, we are not going to, to allow this to go on like this. So what's going on with a case like that? Assuming the facts are more or less, you know, correct. Everybody gets mad at the judge. Okay. In a situation like that, but the judge has to have a law behind him or her to make a ruling. All right, the laws are prejudiced in favor of humans. <laughs> and the very similar thing happened in Arizona. And from that case came the Arizona Honorary Pet Trust Rules. Mm. What happens is the, the judge is not, okay, is not going to give all the money to the animals because who's going to watch over this? Who's going to watch over the money? Who can sign the bank accounts? Who can buy the food? It, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's a process that's in, untenable. It, it will not work. It won't work. With the honorary pet trust law in Arizona, we have to allocate as much money as the animals need. Okay, And the judges here are pretty flexible, generally. All right, And you can allocate a home. All right, but it has to be part of a trust, which is managed by a human being. All right. Right now, there's not a lot of banks or trust companies that will do this for you. It's too unfamiliar. It's not what they do. So you have to find friends, family members, trusted people who you know are not going to sell the house out from under the animals and steal the money. Yeah. The other thing we watch out for in a in an animal trust is the only beneficiary. This is my own personal belief. The only beneficiary of an honorary pet trust after the animals are gone should be a charity. 
because there's so much temptation for the people to take the money first. And who's there to protest? Right. Who will take the side of the animal? Nobody will. It'll happen. The animal will be euthanized. The money will be gone. So in Arizona, once the trust is set up, you have to notify the charity that after the animals are gone, they get the money. And believe me, if you choose the right charity, they watch. Oh, really? So the temptation, oh, yeah. temptation is uh, checked. It's it's removed. Got it. It's it's removed. Okay. Uh, but again, you know, you have to talk about this with your attorney. It's a process. Mm-hmm. We don't just sit down and you know, get it out of our computer to have something work for you. We need to know what you can do, what what charity you want. Um, uh, will this charity do this purpose? Will the Red Cross do it? Will the SPCA do it? Right. You know, who will be able to be your watchdog or your monitor for the animals? I like the term watchdog there. That was good. So let's talk about some concrete steps that you could leave us with that people okay. can right now or should start thinking about to make sure things don't get out of control if a disaster occurs. All right. Uh, first thing you need to think about, and you have to understand that trust drafting is for today. Don't think about what's going to happen 20 years from now or when you live to your life expectancy. Because for most of us, except for certain bird owners and tortoise owners, and we do do trust for all kinds of animals, those animals are not going to be here. So you need to think about what to do for them in the next five years. In the event of death, you do the trust. In the event of disability, however, we do something that's very different. Uh, we post all of uh, our clients' healthcare documents in a service known as in the cloud. I'm not going to name the service. Okay. And along with the healthcare information for the humans, I always add healthcare and care information for the animals. This is what usually happens. And I know this because it happened to me. All right. So you're in the hospital. You call the service, the service sends all the powers of attorney, all the health history for the human and all the health history for the animals. The nurse came into my room holding the documents, screaming, what the blank do I care about your dogs? Got it. Why did I get this? And my sister, who was sitting there with me, said, I got to go home and take care of the dogs. Right, right. It's a reminder. Plus, um, nobody knows how to take care of your animals the way you do. Let me give you an example. One of my dear friends called me. Uh, She said, listen, on your way home, can you let the dogs out? Because I can't do it. I said, sure. And I thought, well, sure. Where are you? Friend, where are you now that you can't do that? She said, I'm in bed. You're in bed. You can't walk the three feet to open up the door to let the animals out. So I quit work. I went to her house immediately, and she had to be ambulanced to the hospital. She was in a very serious situation, but we had no information. She had two dogs, one cat. All right, she wanted me to feed the animals, and I couldn't find the food. All right. So I also advise you for each animal to have either a notebook 
or put something simple on the refrigerator that says, if I can't do it, here's food for the dog. All right. In this case, the cat was fed in one room. One dog was fed in another room. The other dog was fed in a third room. Their food was all different places. One was on medication. So she had to, her husband had to write the list for me. He was with her. I took care of the animals. And he's stressing out about her being ill and probably doesn't want to or can't. He, he or doesn't want to or can't. Uh, in this case, he worked in California, only came home on the weekends. So he really didn't know what to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a great place to uh, conclude this first discussion. Any closing remarks for the listeners? To all our listeners, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk about your animals and hopefully to open your minds to get through that denial so that you can take care of these very, very, very important animals in your life. Uh, how do people find you? Online. All right. Our website is uh, www.ilmlaw.net. Great. Thank you very much for joining us on Animals Today. Thanks very much. about hosting a radio show about animals is that we receive a ton of unsolicited samples of pet products of all sorts. We also get scores of books, but that's not what I want to talk about today. What we receive that leads to many questions around here are about dog treats and chewable dog toys. And we're always trying to figure out what's safe and what's appropriate for our dogs. Anyone who has dogs has to go through this process of deciding what's a good toy or treat for them, whether the item is safe or a choking hazard or nutritious or potentially toxic. So dog people, let's find out what we need to know about the safety of treats and toys. And here with us now is Dr. Doug Coons, Medical Director, Desert VCA Animal Hospital in Palm Springs, California. Welcome to the program, Dr. Coons. Oh, thanks, Lori. I'm happy to be here. Doug, let's start with toys, and particularly the sorts of toys that a dog might chew on. What are the ideal toys, and what are the things that, in your view, are risky? You know, the most important thing is that the toy is sized appropriately for the dog. So, you know, you don't want to go and buy a three-foot-long rawhide bone for your chihuahua. So size the toy appropriate to, for the size of the dog, and it shouldn't be something that can be destroyed uh, rapidly and ingested. So lots of times some of the softer toys uh, that have squeakers inside can sometimes be a little dangerous because some dogs will just obsessively go after those until they tear that squeaker out and uh, we once in a while have to take a squeaker out of a dog, and that's that's not fun for for your veterinarian or fun for the dog. So, uh, again, they should be pretty much indestructible toys. Let's get into some specific examples. Doug, how about the very hard plastic bones that are sometimes advertised for strong chewers, like, for example, Nyla bone? Some of them are so hard, I, I can't imagine them being safe for teeth. Exactly, Lori. 
my dental specialist, you know, there is a specialty in veterinary in, in veterinary medicine for for veterinary dentists, and they tell me that you shouldn't give your dog anything that you can't dent with your thumbnail, and uh, particularly the nyla bones and some of the other really hard bones, we we tend to see slab fractures of the teeth, particularly some of the the larger teeth on the on the upper. Uh, arcade of teeth uh, will develop a slab fracture, and then the tooth has to be extracted, or they they require a, a root canal. So you know, if you can't dent it with your thumbnail, you probably shouldn't give it to your dog. Good advice. How about the toys that are made of or have heavy-duty pieces of rope? One of my dogs loves them, but I have to tell you, Doug, we see bits of rope in her stool, and besides being a little gross, it always worries us a little bit. You know, those probably are pretty safe. And if there are little bits of rope that uh, get ingested, uh, they're probably just going to pass through without uh, causing any issues. In my 40 years of practice, uh, I don't think I've ever seen an issue with that kind of a toy. And by the way, since we're talking about rope, what is your opinion about dogs playing tug-of-war? Is is it okay for their teeth? You know, it, it actually is is okay for their teeth. We We seldom see any harm coming from that kind of activity. You know, dogs sometimes will carry things in their mouth that are a little bit abrasive, and that can cause wear on the teeth, particularly tennis balls. Uh, dogs that are kind of obsessed with a tennis ball will see the the canine, the long teeth, uh, uh, worn down to expose the the, uh, the nerves, and that that's not a good thing. So I, I don't like, uh, you know, things that are habitually carried in the mouth that uh, that are abrasive. Oh, very good. Okay. How about the rubber toys, like the classic Kong toys? I love Kongs uh, for two reasons. Number one, they're they're pretty indestructible. They have give to them, so they're they're not likely to fracture a tooth. But even more importantly, those kinds of toys can entertain a dog because you can pack them with their food. Uh, some behaviorists uh, recommend. Uh, putting peanut butter in them as long as it doesn't have xylitol uh, and then freezing them and then the dogs will occupy themselves with those for hours particularly dogs that that uh, tend to be larger breed dogs that uh, have some anxiety and just being cooped up all the time this gives them a job what a great tip doug some toys have thick fabric as one of their main components what do you think about those you know, it, as long as it's not destroyed quickly, I don't have a problem with the ones that are fabric. They're, again, they're soft. They're not going to cause any harm to the teeth. And generally, if they get pieces of it off, uh, it's going to pass. But the big thing is, if the toy starts to get destroyed, throw it away. Don't risk the, you know, the dog ingesting major parts of it that would then require removal. Doug, earlier you commented about the squeaky toys. You know, these toys have a stuffing or filling to them, and they also have this squeaking device, which we often see as two parts. One is a softer, hollow, plastic, compressible balloon-type piece, and the other is a small, hard, plastic cylinder that makes the sound when the air gets pushed through it. I would have to say our dogs would ingest all of this if we let them. Again, the the key uh, to the squeaky toys 
is does the dog just enjoy playing with it or is the dog destroying it and if the dog's destroying it it's not a not a good choice i've had dogs that have had squeaky toys and they they love to squeak them and carry them around but they haven't destroyed them but if they're destroying them then there's potential for ingestion right so doug what are your recommendations for dogs who seem to be able to destroy and tear apart any kind of toy well i i absolutely have angst over that. I don't like to see a toy that's easily destroyed or even that's difficult to destroy, but once the dog starts to destroy it, there's the potential for ingestion. And it's just better to err in the realm of, of safety and, and not let the dog continue to destroy a toy once that process has begun. Throw it away and buy a new toy. Okay, so Doug, let's move on to treats and animal bones. Overall, what are your likes and dislikes in terms of dog safety? Well, again, I, I, I'll refer back to the, to the statement I made about the toys uh, that my dental specialists uh, say, and that is, if you can't dent it with your thumbnail, don't give it to your dog. And so, you know, giving a, a bone carries some risk with it. And again, we tend to see these slab fractures of the upper fourth premolar, which is the big tooth, chewing tooth uh, on on either side uh, in the upper upper teeth. And so we want to stay away from things that are really hard like that. As much as dogs love those, you know, I've seen a little round bone that you get out of a a round steak. Uh, Dogs will chew the marrow out of it and then chew them. And sometimes that gets caught around the the upper canine teeth. and, And then you have a trip to the vet trying to extract a bone from the mouth. So I'm not really big on those. I'm not really big on pig's ears and bully sticks because those, you know, are both animal parts and somebody, you know, found out that something that they were throwing away could be turned into income. And in the literature, there are reports of both of those harboring E. coli. Mm. And so... Uh, just again, best to stay away from those. Or if you do use them, be sure you know the country of origin. If it's from the United States, there's been somewhat of an inspection process before those are marketed. Whereas from some other countries, uh, there's a risk involved that you could infect your dog. So I'm, I'm not I'm not a fan of those. Doug, we've never been in the habit of giving our dogs rawhide because we've heard it can be particularly dangerous. What's your advice there? You know, again, rawhide uh, carries some risk because it's hard. I don't know if you've ever tried to dent a a rawhide bone with your thumbnail. You can't do it. So we do see fractured teeth from rawhide. Uh, The other thing that we see, particularly in the smaller rawhide things that are, you know, kind of the shape of a pencil, those can be ingested very quickly. And because they're eaten and the whole thing goes down, they can cause a an intestinal obstruction and we do find instances where we've had to go in and surgically remove those Mm. so i'm i'm not a big rawhide fan okay and there's a popular brand name product that everyone seems to know about called greenies what are they made of and are they safe 
Greenies are a vegetable fiber product. And actually, you know, there was a problem with greenies a few years ago. And, and so the manufacturer went through a process of revamping their product. And greenies are, are really good. And there are several companies that, that make greenies. There's a greenie made by one company that's impregnated with chlorhexidine. And chlorhexidine is a, a, it's a chemical but it's used as a human mouthwash. We use it to cleanse a wound. And that chlorhexidine that's impregnated in those greenies is antibacterial to the mouth, so it really does help to keep the bacteria down. There's a newer product called Oravet that is like a greenie. It has those long-strand vegetable fibers, which help to scrape the plaque off the teeth. But it also has another product, again, that comes from human medicine that softens plaque and calculus so that when the dog chews that treat, it softens the calculus, and then the long-strand vegetable fibers that surround it help to remove that. So appropriate to treats like that can really be a benefit because even though the gold standard is brushing your dog's teeth, we all know realistically that uh, there is not every dog out there uh, is going to be amenable to that. One final question I have for you. Is it okay to let my dogs eat ice cubes once in a while? I mean, it makes one of my dogs so happy for a few seconds, but I've read that you really shouldn't do this. You know, it it runs the same danger as you and I chewing on ice. You've got something very cold and very hard, and it can lead to to tooth fractures. Now, that said, sometimes if I have a dog that's got a little bit of an upset tummy and has had a vomiting problem, I recommend putting two or three ice cubes in a bowl for a dog to lick and drink the water, and that controls the amount of water that's ingested. So I'm not totally against ice cubes, but uh, as a regular treat, I I don't recommend it because, again, the, the potential for tooth fracture. Veterinarian Dr. Douglas Coons, this was so informative and educational. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome, Lori. It's been my pleasure. The squeaky rope bumper from Hound 2O is durably made with an engaging squeak and is designed to float so you can take your fetch game to the next level at the pool, creek, or river. Unlike foam dummies, this squeaky rope bumper is sturdy, making it ideal for both chewing and fetching activities. Its brightly brilliant colors, green, orange, or yellow, ensure high visibility in any terrain so you never have to worry about losing it during playtime. Constructed with a blend of durable and non-toxic materials and able to withstand rough play and tough weather conditions, Hound 2O's thoughtfully designed lineup of dog toys promote your dog's physical and mental well-being. Additionally, every Hound 2O toy is dishwasher safe so you can easily clean, sanitize, and keep your dog's outdoor adventures going. That's the squeaky rope bumper from Hound 2O. Welcome back to the show. Peter, you're you're old. Thank you very much. <laughs> How many 
states have you been to? How many states? Like U.S. states? Yeah. Like including just drive-thrus? That's right. Oh, I'm going to say, I don't know. I'm going to say about 33, 34. That would be my estimate. Thank you for asking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a little challenge for you. Yes. Okay. This is a USA state animal challenge. Okay. Which two states have grizzly bears as their official state animal? Okay, how about California? Is one, that's correct. Alaska. Montana. Ooh-wee. And by the way, due to habitat loss and overhunting, the California grizzly bear is now extinct. Their complete extinction was in the 1920s. Oh. And California's the only state in the union that carries the image of an extinct animal on its state flag and seal. What is the official bird of New Mexico? I'll give you a, a multiple choice. Good. Roadrunner, Robin, Finch, or the bluebird? I'll take Roadrunner. That's correct. Did you know that Roadrunners leave footprints shaped like an X? No. Yeah, so by looking at their footprints, you won't be able to tell which direction they're traveling, I guess, right? (laughs) You know, I've seen so many Roadrunners. We're surrounded by them here, and I never... You haven't looked at their footprints? No. In the dirt? Gotta get down. (laughs) Wisconsin state animal... Yes. ...is the badger, the raccoon... Or the cow? I, I think the badger. I think I recognize that as a uh, college mascot. No. No. Reflecting the dairy industry in oh, Wisconsin, geez. the cow. The lobbyists got into there. That's right. Hawaii's state animal yeah. is the green sea turtle, the manta ray, the dolphin, or the humpback whale. Wow. Oh, gee. I'll go. That's really guessing zone, uh, the dolphin. Humpback whale. Yeah. Humpback whales are known to migrate toward tropical coastal waters like Hawaii's, where they give birth to their calves. And by the way, the sperm whale is the official state animal of Connecticut. That is totally logical. (laughs) Wow. You know, don't they have the the Hawaii whale festival? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It might have been a clue. Maybe not. You should have known that. Yeah. Nebraska's state animal. Not the cow. It's taken. Well, not necessarily. Some states have similar state animals. Oh. Okay. And some states have more than one state animal. Nebraska state animal is the white-tailed deer, the dingo, or the kiwi. Oh, I'll go with the deer. That's correct. Uh, thanks for... According to Big Game Conservation Association, Nebraska hunters spend about 400,000 days hunting for deer each year and about 300,000 for white tails alone. Mm. And by the way, the white-tailed deer is the most popular official state mammal. Okay. So there are other states that have white-tailed deer. A lot of hunters out there. That's right. That's right. The Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep is the official state mammal in what state? Utah, Colorado, Nevada, or New Mexico? I'll go with Colorado. That's correct. Good guess. How did you guess that? I've been there. (laughs) I know. And you seen Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep there? No. no. Here's a fun fact about them. You can tell the age of a male bighorn sheep by counting the number of growth rings in his horns. Kentucky's state animal is the red fox, the opossum, or the thoroughbred. Oh, I'm going to go with the opossum. Thoroughbred. Oh. Yeah, too bad. Thoroughbred horses are extremely sensitive and high-spirited, and this entire horse racing industry is simply cruel and torture for these animals. Alaska's state animal is the Alaskan husky wolf, the moose, or the polar bear? 
Oh, gee. I'll go with the polar bear. Moose. Mm. Historically, moose were an important source of food, clothing, and implements to Native Americans living along Alaska's major rivers. What's the plural of moose? Moose? How about moose? <laughs> That's correct. Hey! The official state mammal of Utah... Yes, back to Utah. ...is the Rocky Mountain elk, the bison, squirrel, or moose? <laughs> Judging from your guidance, I'm not going to take that advice. I'm going to go with uh, not the squirrel, not the moose again, not the bison. What's left? Rocky Mountain elk. I'll take the elk. That's correct. Yeah. Elk were reintroduced into Utah by conservation groups after their numbers were depleted due to overhunting again in the 1800s. The beaver was adopted as the official state animal of New York in 1975. What other state has the beaver as the official state animal? Massachusetts, Oregon, Connecticut. I go with uh, Oregon. Yes, correct. Oregon is also called the beaver state, by the way. The beaver was trapped by the early settlers for its meat and their fur to make items like fur hats, unfortunately. Yeah. Some people say that the beaver is the smartest thing in fur pants. Have you heard that? The smartest thing. That's a cute saying. Beaver. Beavers are considered one of the keystone species, meaning they are extremely important to our ecosystem. They play a vital role in maintaining the structure of an ecological community. Yep. They create dams and habitats for dozens of different species, including many aquatic organisms. They also maintain the water level and control flooding and erosion. They are clever. Yes, they are. The ring-tailed cat is the official state mammal for which state? Nevada, New Mexico, or Arizona? Oh, I'll go with New Mexico. Arizona. They exist primarily in Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, Colorado, and southeastern California. The ring-tailed cat, or sometimes called the miner's cat, is not actually a cat, right? Rather, it's a small fox-sized member of the raccoon family with a long striped tail. That's interesting. Which state does not have the bison as their official state animal? Kansas, Oklahoma, Colorado, or Wyoming? Colorado. Yes. Okay. Those bison, they've been through hell. Yeah. And back. Yes, they have. And bison weigh about a ton. Do you think it's possible for bison to jump? Oh, yeah. Don't go too close to the bison. Yeah. They jump vertically. Oh, wow. If they see like a little snake or something. <laughs> or, or a spider. Or a spider, right. <laughs> Despite weighing about a ton, they have a vertical jump of up to six feet. Wow. And they're also good swimmers. Yes. So they could outrun you, outjump you, and outswim you. And outsmart me. And outsmart you. Right. Okay, for a well-traveled older <laughs> guy, you did pretty good, Peter. Is this a pass-fail? Yes. Okay. Yes, unfortunately, you <laughs> failed. A fail plus. F plus. F plus. That's as good as it gets around here. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks. That was sort of cool, Lori. Thank you. Oh, good. And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.